Ahoy and welcome listeners to another exciting episode of Nautical Nerd, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of maritime archaeology. I'm your host, Patrick, and today we have our first interview for the podcast with a special guest who has dedicated her career to uncovering the secrets hidden beneath the ocean surface. Joining us today is Amber Cabining, a distinguished maritime archaeologist who works for a company named ACOM. With a passion for uncovering the mysteries of the past, Amber has explored many remote areas of the world, uncovering untold stories of maritime history. Amber and I both graduated from East Carolina University from the same cohort a few years ago. It's good to hear from you, Amber, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. You make me sound so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are fancy. You're a, a professional maritime archaeologist, so you should be proud of it. Yeah, that does sound a lot fancier than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to start off with, what is ACOM and what do you do there? Yeah, so ACOM is an infrastructure consulting firm. So when companies or um, governments or entities need to construct something, they need to hire someone to do, in my case, an archaeological assessment to see if any submerged cultural resources are going to be impacted by that development. And so I'm a part of the underwater archaeology branch, which is a super tiny little branch out of the whole of ACOM. It's also, I've also heard it pronounced AECOM. So I'm not entirely sure which one's which is correct or if they both are correct. And we're a team of five people and we're working the entire world doing these um, underwater projects. And it also includes like offshore wind development for wind farms. Um, if someone's going to do any infrastructure on um, updating a pier or a harbor, or um, if someone needs to lay down some uh, submerged pipelines, we have to go out and do a survey. So we do stuff like that. Um, we also do stuff in like coral reef restoration too. So you need to do a survey if you're going to do any of that as well. So we're kind of well-rounded in what we can do. Wow, that sounds really interesting. So it's five people is the maritime unit? Yep. Just wow. five. <laughs> and when did that start? So as I understand it, so the people that are on my team, us five people, are all new. So before us, it, it, they kind of let it fizzle out. And all those people either like retired or they went somewhere else. And so the underwater division was kind of bumbling. And then so everyone was just recently hired within like the last year. So my boss and all of our team have only been doing ACOM for about a year. I mean, everyone else has had other CRM work and everything's new. And so we haven't really found like the groove of how everything is going to operate indefinitely. So we're still figuring stuff out. We're still getting new projects in. And it's really fun to learn the process while everyone else is kind of rebuilding this program. Yeah, I bet. That sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you got in uh, just at the right time, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what's an average day look like for you as a maritime archaeologist? Ooh, so right now, it's like the February, January time period. And that's, as I understand it, like always the slow time for CRM, um, cultural resource management. Because all the projects happen in like the spring, summer, fall, report writing and everything goes along with that. And then everybody wants everything done before Christmas. And then so this time of the year, we're like accumulating and we're applying for projects. We're bidding for things. And then we're 
finishing up reports um, or like developing work plans for certain projects. Uh, for me right now, I've been doing a lot of like BOEM trainings and Section 106 trainings and just like kind of boosting uh, my knowledge about everything and then working on um, a lot of report writing right now. And then generally when you are in the field, it could be uh, maybe like three to five days at a time you're in the field, or you can be in the field for like months at a time. It just depends on which project you're working on. Wow. Okay. So when you're in the field, what is it that you're mostly doing? Cause they say the most diving you do is in grad school. Is this true? On average, I'm not in the, in the field. I'm not diving, but when we are diving, it's from dawn to dusk all day diving or with the tides or with the weather because you have to get it done within a certain amount of time so when you are diving you're diving all day and so and it's different diving than what you do in grad school because there there's the pressure is off it's mostly training dives if you're lucky you get to dive during a field school um but it's it's different i'm not in the field all the time but when we are in the field it is nonstop 6 a.m. to the sun starts setting and you got to head the boat back in. So yeah, it's sort of, when you are diving, you're diving a lot, but when you're not diving, which is most of the year, you're not diving. So. Well, that's kind of nice to hear that that phrase is not true then. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I yeah. feel like a lot of the people that want to come into this field, uh, they have a passion for diving and that's what they want to do. But it seems like the majority of career paths don't really lead to diving and it's you're lucky if you get to do remote sensing yeah and I this might be just like a personal thing but I find that like it's hard for me to do fun dives now like just like go on vacation mm -hmm. and just like dive because I get so bored bored yeah <laughs> the I same mean, thing like... happens to me I don't know what like I don't know what to do everyone's always like taking pictures and like you know Right. We're tiny all hunting. little things. Yeah. On the reef, but just <laughs> right. We're like... all just like, Oh, look, there's an anchor. Oh my God. Let's check this out. Yeah. Oh, this is some net. Let's wrap this up. Let's get this off the reef. Like anything besides just taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so funny. Um, so <laughs> you are in the field for a lot of the time. What, uh, what are some of the coolest things you've been able to do in the field? Oh, so some of the coolest things, I think being exposed to things that you're not really normally exposed to, whether that be like you're on a dive and you come across something and you pop up and you're like, yeah, I have no idea what that was. Um, and then you just research into it. That's pretty cool. But also I get to travel a lot and a lot of these places are pretty remote and I would never been able to let alone afford traveling to these places or like even thought to go to these places which is pretty cool so you get to learn about new cultures and then um that um areas past in their history and the indigenous cultures there and then the food i'm a pretty big foodie so that's pretty fun but it's just it's just cool to just get exposed to so much other things that you wouldn't have been exposed to at all so i think so that's pretty much the coolest Sounds like there's a lot of other benefits than just mm -hmm. diving and, you know, having a yeah. career path. Yeah. And then like um, the equipment and the technology you get to use, uh, which is pretty cool, especially if you do work for a company that's like fortunate enough to afford those or be able to rent out new equipment. 
because um especially in grad school you might get exposed to like using a uh, side scan sonar and a mag but you probably won't do any sub bottom stuff and so or uh, multi-beam or anything like that so i think the technology and then like processing all that data is pretty cool so you kind of get exposed to a lot of stuff that's pretty neat nice so besides what you work with uh at acom do you have any personal research interests you'd like to pursue in the future oh uh, i think it's like ever changing for me like i love learning about where we're going and then the stuff we're coming across is pretty cool and then i kind of just dive into that rabbit hole um in grad school and everything i was really into um spanish colonialism and anything Spanish, uh, 17th, 18th century, I loved it. And now I'm just like, yeah, it's cool, but there's so much other cool things out there. And I told myself I would never do World War II anything because I didn't think it was cool. And here I am doing a lot of World War II stuff, and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like stuff I wouldn't think I cared about. And then now I am getting exposed to it, and I'm like, oh. Well, now I just want to learn everything there is to know about this weird World War II wreck that we found or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, that's very interesting that you, you didn't want to pursue it. And now you're kind of falling in love with the topic. I've always loved World War II history. And mm -hmm. uh, one of my goals, hopefully this summer, is to dive on a U-boat. Um, I keep saying I'll go to the one off the coast of North Carolina. One of these oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. Maybe we can go together. Oh my God, I'd love that. <laughs> um, so one of the first episodes on this podcast I decided to do was talking about treasure hunting versus archaeology. And I know that you did a lot of research on that in grad school, and I wanted mm -hmm. to know what your thoughts were. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is that like everybody thinks it's cool. Like I think that's what draws everyone to it. If you see a wreck underwater, you're, it's, it's freaking cool. And everybody gets real passionate about it. And I think it's just, um, when it comes to treasure hunting, people just don't know that it's not okay to take stuff off a wreck. It's, you're like destroying the integrity of the shipwreck or anything that we can learn from it. And then they think that taking things is good. Um, you're, preserving it otherwise it's just going to you know erode away which is just incorrect i mean eventually yes but i think it's just the, like the lack of knowledge that uh, in laws and legislation in place to protect these submerged cultural resources and just people just don't know but whenever you're at the dock and you're talking to the public you're getting ready for the day people are always interested it's cool and so i think it's just this, a lack of knowledge of what is proper procedure, what's okay, what's not okay. And then the understanding that everybody's kind of wants the same thing. Everything, everyone wants to learn about it. So I think, I think that kind of answers the question, right? <laughs> nice. I think I kind of came to this same conclusion where there's like this severe lack of education, but once, once people understand that archaeology is really about giving everything to the public mm -hmm. um, they're less inclined to just want to go take something and then have it corrode on their mantelpiece yeah and there's that 
like old time stigma that the government's going to come and take it away. Like they, they want the money for themselves. And so that's kind <laughs> what of been... money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everybody thinks it's going to be treasure on a wreck. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and that's yeah. not at all what archaeologists are even interested in. They just, you know, no. they're like, no, 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 wait, look at the shoe though. <laughs> yes, exactly. And let me measure this wet wood so I can learn how these people built things. It's, exactly but that's still interesting it's all cool everybody thinks it's cool (laughs) yeah nice so um (laughs) kind of getting back to your career path um have there been any challenges that you faced while working as a maritime archaeologist Hmm. i think the challenge for me is just overcoming the fact that it's completely okay to have no idea what you're looking at. It is fine to not know everything there is to know about a shipwreck or about pier construction because you're going to go down and you're just going to be like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Uh, and you pop back up and you just take about a lot of photos and you record everything that you can And then you just dive into the research of the area, what was here, and then it's completely okay not to know. (laughs) And then just like being a female archaeologist, just like being a female in the field, if you're on a boat all day, where are you going to go to the bathroom? Like there's considerations that a lot of, um, well, fortunately this is changing, but a lot of like male archaeologists in the field like don't consider that like they can just pee off the back of the boat. And so like, well, we can't really do that. And then so we rent out a lot of our boats. So we're using different boats depending on um, the survey area. And uh, it, w- it was fortunate at when I worked at Skia, we were using the same boat and it had a really nice like transom off the back that you can just hang off and just pee. But um, for a lot of these boats, you're just like, well, um, I guess I'll just hold it or just plan my day around like going to the bathroom in the morning and just holding it for the rest of the day. So there's um, there's stuff like that. And then also, if you're at the dock, you're trailering, you're backing it up, you're launching, a lot of people there are going to assume you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're a girl. Boats are, are for boys. They're going to try and hold your hand. They're like, oh, are you sure you can do that? And you're just like, yeah, I can do this. Or they automatically assume you're going to do something wrong before you do it, and they correct you. So that's pretty annoying. Um, but that's just how it is unfortunately (laughs) well those are some challenges (laughs) yeah well it sounds like you're probably going to be the change in the field that needs to happen yeah hopefully and uh, especially like in the class after us it was mostly all female which is shocking so hopefully the field will become more open to more female underwater archaeologists i definitely think that's that's going to happen um you mentioned Skia. What is that? Uh, Skia is the South Carolina Institute for Archaeology and Anthropology. So they are the uh, state governing entity for like cultural resources of uh, the state of South Carolina. And I worked in their underwater division for a year. It was a year long contract. And I was only working on like one particular project that they were doing. But I was also helping out with um, all of the state stuff that they were doing as well. Uh, so yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, and you 
worked there immediately after graduating from ECU, right? Yeah. So I was really fortunate that I was able to find a job immediately after school. And it's because I did have the opportunity to work with them while I was um, still a student because they, they're really good at doing these short little internships where you go out and just like help them survey or help them dive for a week. Um, and so I, I did that twice with them. So I was already on their radar whenever they were looking for someone to fill this position. And then they fortunately reached out to me to fill it, which was super cool. And then that's how I ended up here in Columbia. All right. So speaking of students and kind of getting those opportunities, what kind of important skills do you think maritime archaeologists should get from grad school? And how can these students obtain them? Ooh, I think the biggest skill to have is just be flexible, just be a sponge. And I, I remember whenever we were in school, they were really kind of pushing to kind of get good at like one thing and like have that one thing be your selling point. But now that I have worked in here, you kind of need to be a jack of all trades. Like you, you got to just... um kind of absorb everything. Know a little bit about remote sensing, uh, the data processing, if you're lucky enough to do that or have the opportunity to do that. Uh, report writing, learn to write succinct and in active language. A lot of people, it's easy to be passive, but you want to be succinct, short and sweet. Um, and then, of course, good diving skills. Um, I recommend at least getting up to like a rescue diver and then you can kind of do scientific diving and everything in school if you can uh, getting at least in the professional level of diving like be a, a, a dive master looks really good because that means you you know um how things work underwater you got good situational awareness you can kind of tell when things are starting to look bad underwater or like, ah, actually that clip doesn't look too good. That can get caught, you know, stuff like that. So I think, I think that's a good skill to have. And then just, again, be okay with not knowing everything and just be open to learning new things. And, and of course, like the laws and legislation too, as well. But uh, the thing about that is that you can always look that up. If you forget um, what section 106 is. You can just look it up real quick. So I think just kind of learning a little bit about all those things. And then once you do it, the more you do it, the better you'll be and you'll memorize it. Excellent. Just because you've mentioned it a couple of times now, can you just briefly explain what section 106 is? It's federal legislation to protect cultural resources, basically. And like, how to go about that okay so um talking about these these skills and opportunities uh what was your experience before going into grad school and what helped you actually get into one of these programs mm, so i went to uh, texas state university for my undergrad and i was a part of their anthropology department and part of some of their courses is that you can choose to take an internship um, and so I decided to take that route and they already had a good relationship with the Texas Historical Commission. So that's state management for cultural resources and architecture and everything. And they have a branch for 
the Marine Division to protect submerged cultural resources with Amy Borgens. And so I was able to intern with her for an entire year. And so that's where I learned kind of what is underwater archaeology and then how to manage um, cultural resources and kind of the regulatory aspect of underwater archaeology, which is pretty cool. And before I did the internship, I kind of didn't know if this was something I wanted to do. And then after taking the internship, I was like, yep, this is it. And I was already a diver. I was, I've been diving since high school. And then I realized that I can put those two together. And I was like, all right, this is for me. This is what I'm doing. So I was fortunate to have that opportunity to kind of guide me. Excellent. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue this career and doesn't really know where to start? I think, like I said, be okay with not knowing everything and just be flexible, be a sponge, and then ask all the questions, even questions you think are stupid because odds are someone's also thinking it. So I think just be okay. That's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just, just ask the stupid questions. There's going to be an answer and just research everything, bookmark everything. Um, I think uh, definitely having a reference, references to go back to, especially once you leave um a university and you no longer have access to all those sources while you're a student just like get a hard drive and just start downloading and saving everything you can obviously you're going to be focused on a lot of your thesis stuff but anything that is like the encyclopedia of american shipwrecks or anything like that something stuff that is referenceable for many projects in many areas i think that's cool and also just like bookmark a lot of like quick reference materials like noah's historical nautical charts have that bookmark because you'll be referencing that a lot um the national archives have a bookmark for it lloyd's register um the university of hawaii has really good aerial photos that are accessible for the public so i have a bookmark for that uh, Noah's wrecks and obstructions database is really good and handy. Um, and then for me in my work, I also have, um, bookmarks for every, um, state that has underwater regulations just in case I need to reference them. And same with, with BOEM regulations. So I think having a good reference chart that you can always go back to, and then you can always like Reference it if you ever forget anything, too, and just kind of refer back to it. I think that's that's also pretty good. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of <laughs> advice. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, especially researching. And I think the biggest, I guess this can also go back to your challenges question. Um, for CRM, you do not have all the time in the world to write something up. You The project might have like four hours budgeted to do this one section. And so you need to be able to reference all of these sources and like, like a cartographic review, um, you're going to be digging right into the NOAA historical charts. What did this place look like all those years ago? Um, learn how to read historical nautical charts because a lot of the symbols change over time. So having um, a PDF on how to read historical nautical charts for NOAA. 
I think that's also a good thing to have as well. <laughs> I can go on and on. Well, so good. This, no, that's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you got to write and you got to write fast and you have to be really descriptive and informative in everything. So, and it just comes with practice. And it, I think that's been a big thing. You have to write and research real fast because you're also working on multiple projects all at once. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're learning a lot and enjoying it. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any long-term goals for your career? Dude, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I've always been a person that only plans like two to three years ahead. And it's hard for me to conceptualize where I'll be like 10 years from now. I don't think I have any like long-term goals I think I've always thought I would go back into academia, become a professor. Um, and now I'm not so sure. I'm really liking what I'm doing now. So I'm definitely going to be sticking with this for a while. And that may change. And I think that's perfectly fine. So. All right. Um, <laughs> well, final question. Um, what inspired you to pursue a career in maritime archaeology? <laughs> treasure hunting <laughs> <laughs> i think um definitely indian jones laura croft nathan drake i just i wanted that i wanted the history i wanted the adventure i wanted the challenge um i like figuring stuff out i love the hunt for finding the history of a place or um, figuring out what am I looking at? What are these features that I'm not familiar with? Especially when it comes to like metal shipwrecks. I didn't have any experience with anything constructed out of metal out of grad school. So it's really fun to just dive in, I think, and figuring all of that out. So, but it all started with, um, famous treasure hunters <laughs> i feel like that's probably pretty common for a lot of um you know want to be maritime archaeologists at first and mm -hmm. then they get the education and then you know they just like well okay treasure hunting's not ideal not but this path could be good too yeah but that's all good i'm enjoying it <laughs> good well um thanks for joining me today amber it's been fun yeah. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And I look forward to diving that U-boat this summer. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you listeners for tuning in and we will see you next time.